When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is The Rock. I'm Lawrence Delalio, and for a second week in a row, Stephen Jones seems to be avoiding me. Last week, he was going into business with Nigel Ray, and this week, he's got the lurgy, or so he says. But that means that Owen Slot, who was going to have a well-earned week off, comes in off the bench as a finisher, a game-changer. And we're also joined by the legendary former player, renowned journalist, an expert wine drinker, and the man that ensured that my England career got off to a flying start, Stuart Barnes. Thank you, Lawrence. Barnesy. Hello, Barnsley. You're right. Yeah, Lawrence. Thank you as well for going public with your tip for South Africa three months before the World Cup final. (laughs) Yes. By the way, that wasn't a Rob Howley tip. That was just my tip. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, we all. To be honest with you, um, just while we're on that, we all did back South Africa. Um, They were twelve to one in January. You know that, don't you? I do know that. And then they came down to about nine to two. Then eventually, I think it was four to one just before the World Cup. But. I still have to say to myself that South Africa won the World Cup by beating Japan, Wales and England. Uh, when you say it like that, you just think to yourself... So you don't, you don't think they really won it then? Well, they deserved it. Of course they did. <laughs> I, th- I they think played magnificently um, well. I think but, you're uh, denigrating their, their achievement there, I'm Lawrence. not denigrating it. I'm just saying it's the easiest World Cup to win. If you only beat Japan, Wales and England... Um, and you don't play any of your Southern Hemisphere... You know. well, they've got a history, haven't they? In 2007, when they won the World Cup, they didn't really beat a great deal then. They beat the worst yeah. England final team of them all. So they've only uh, really won Argentina one World Cup in a semi- mm. and, and New Zealand, <laughs> New Zealand were food poison then, apparently. So. Yeah, so, all right. <laughs> anyway, the other can anyway, I, di- them all I, three. I divulge, you know, I don't, I don't want to upset our South African friends. Um, in the week that everyone uh, goes to the voting polls, uh, should we talk about Europe uh, and not discuss... Any politics? Seeing as Barnsley would have some very strong opinions, I'm sure. Yeah, no, no politics. I want to ask Barnsley. Barnsley, did you read my piece on Saturday? Yes. Was it true? So I, I wrote uh, on Saturday with Chris Boyd. Yes. Uh, in, in which, and I don't know Chris Boyd very well, but it doesn't look like a um, an, an out in the pub till four in the morning. Time, Do but, I? But but he 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 says you know I I picked Barnsley up. Barnsley wants to go home and watch telly. And um, I dragged him out till four in the morning. The, the truth is, and Lawrence will appreciate this as a television man, I was doing my research, I was watching the Hurricanes train 
day before they played the Lions, which was the week I think of the second test. Oh, okay, all right. So and, we're in Wellington, and I met Chris. I met Chris Boyd in Wellington. He was very good. He came over through the session, talked me through things for about forty minutes. I was wandering out of the stadium, the Cacton. Back towards town and my hotel, prepping myself for the test match. Because that's because you were being professional. And, and, uh, uh, I mean, uh, that's what you're saying, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I was being a pro, and this black CUV pulled up, arm came out, grabbed me, didn't know who it was. It was Chris Boyd and his uh, cronies. They they pulled me in, took me to a waterside bar, and I wouldn't say it was four in the morning, but it was certainly more than four hours drinking. There was an element of truth, although my lawyer said, <laughs> be careful what you say. Four o'clock is... Is is a bit poetic in its license. Let's talk about Chris Boyd because um, yeah. I, I read that interview, and obviously, you know, we'll get onto the game against Leinster in in a while because they're still obviously a few years away from from being the finished article. But I mean, they picked a good one there, haven't they? Really, Northampton. He, he seems to to have uh, come in there, you know, in that typical Kiwi way, a la Warren Gatlin, and assessed what they ha- what they've got, what they haven't got, and worked mm. out actually that uh, I haven't got big forwards, so there's no point trying to bash people up. We've got to get the ball to the to the guys who can. Uh, who can make it count? He's a real joy to talk to because he—he's just talking sense. And he, and as you say, he arrived there and, and and he assessed. He didn't go, oh, I'm going to Northampton where they have been traditionally, or they for the last decade or so they've been playing quite a big rumbling forward pack sort of game. Um, and he's the, the bit that I like was he just he said. He likes to play an optimistic game. That's the word that he uses a lot. And, I mean, that's his way of saying that we're we're, we're going to going to pass the ball and try and play a bit of rugby. Yeah. And he says, he, "I arrived there." He said, and the, the, almost I think he's quoting quoting him exactly. He said, "He said they were all sitting there waiting for someone to come and trust them." And he's talking about uh, the James Graysons, the Rory Hutchinsons, uh, the George Furbanks. These these kids who he's got playing wonderful rugby. And he said, "There's a lot of rugby players there who could play great rugby, but no one had given them the opportunity." Mm. And he was sort of suggesting there's a lot of that around England, yeah. which I think you'd agree with, Barnsley, because. Um, Definitely. You're an optimistic guy. I, I am an optimistic guy when it comes to rugby, yeah, and I totally agree. I, Chris Boyd, the first thing I learned about him that day with our uh, epic session was he fizzes with rugby ideas and he is optimistic yeah. and he does believe that you can use pace as a way to win matches. Now, you have to have power as well because without the power, you can't create the space for the pace. In the Premiership, it is not as powerful a game. Take Saracens probably out of the equation, and we don't have a giant of the game like Leinster. So, yes, they're improving, but I don't think Saturday was in any ways really a setback because Northampton aren't there yet. Their mm. pack are better than last year, I think, Lawrence, yep. but they're not quite good enough. Uh, their defence still needs far more aggression and pacing and power in that area. Yeah, and, and I think when you look at... Um when you look at the, a lot of coaches who come in, they, I, I don't know. I'd love to be a fly on the wall a lot, a lot of training sessions in England because I just wonder how long in a, in a two-hour rugby session, how long they spend on their attacking shape and structure. Because you know, I appreciate the set piece is really important and all the things that we know about kicking, catching, you know, the the, the line out the scrum. But actually, the hardest part of the game to to get right is the attacking shape and structure. And it seems to me that Northampton spend more time on that than anything else. You know, Wasp had a period under Warren Gatland where we played some pretty um, game-changing rugby, and we just spent all of our time on our, on our attacking shape and structure. But this is one of the, 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 the big tales of the switch from amateurism to professionalism. And 20 years seems like a long time, but it's not really. Historically, it's no time at all. And Lawrence started his game at the tail end of amateurism. I played mine right away up to the start of professionalism and then quit. What happened then? You were a Profes- complete amateur, weren't you? <clears throat> 
I wouldn't say. Sorry, that, that no. was just a, that was just a really lazy. Well, I'm a, I'm a, as in the Latin love of the game. No, <laughs> um, yes, yeah. um, very good. But we would say that, and you would agree, Lawrence. Ninety mm. percent of what every team did in the amateur age was attack driven. At the end of the session, you go, "Oh Christ, what are we going to do about our defence?" Now, ninety percent of what we do, as I think Laurel is alluding <laughs> to, is we defend, mm. and then there's ten minutes when you go, "Crikey." What are we going to do about the attack? Oh, I know. We'll pop it one out to a static forward. Great. Stuart, you were at, uh, at Franklin Gardens on Saturday. I you, was. You, you were, or no, you, no, were, I was you were covering at, it. I was down in, uh, I was down in <clears throat> Bath watching the, the Bath-Clement game, which we'll get on to in a minute. But just, so I, w- I watched <clears throat> that on the box, and, and, and the, the score was 16-43, which suggests a, a massive distance, a gap in, in skill and, and talent and quality, etc. But I didn't, I didn't think it really looked like that. Well, so the, I, first, the first 30 minutes, Northampton were very much in the game. You know, it was, it was fairly it's a brilliant balanced. game for half It was half a brilliant game for half yeah. an hour. But then they, they, they made too many mistakes. They, the power and the patience and the attacking shape and structure and the relentlessness of Leinster's attack just, just wore them down. And actually, the tries they conceded were, were, were all sort of short-range pick-and-goes. Yeah. Five. Well, five, five out of seven, seven tries they conceded. Yeah. So, you know, they don't necessarily have the power to match that you know the 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 uh, particularly in the type five I don't think but that'll come because you know Chris Boyd can't suddenly bring a load of new players in but over time he'll have to realize that if you want to compete in Europe you do need you know a couple of nasty uh, front five forwards that look like they've murdered their own children yeah, you, you need experience as well we, we know that you don't come straight into Europe and win it Leon at top of the French League is taking them nine games to get their first win mm. And they're a powerful, yeah. ugly old team. La, La Rochelle's. La Rochelle are struggling like hell. So Northampton, they lack experience. And those five Leinster tries out of the seven that were forward tries, <clears> it was all about understanding how to play rugby in a lower gear. Northampton have got a problem in that they're a sports car and everything <clears> they do is in fourth gear or overdrive. Yeah. And that's fine against lesser opposition. But when someone just stands in the way and the car's got to do something else you've got to decelerate a bit and grind through the gears and when Saracens I think got into third and second yeah. they were just too powerful and experienced what's the uh, I sorry mean, Leinster I mean is it, is it, a, is it a, <laughs> did I say Saracens <laughs> yeah hold on we'll is get it, there Leinster is we'll it a worrying trend I mean the Irish provinces are doing brilliantly I know that because I, every Sunday I'm in the BT Sports studio with Craig Doyle and Brian O'Driscoll and unfortunately all we can talk about is Ireland demolishing the English sides in Europe um, another three a hat trick Munster, Leinster and Ulster all winning against European opposition. In the last three years, that brings the, the ratio of 25 wins to Ireland and seven to English clubs, mm. uh, which is fairly emphatic. Now, I know Saracens won the European Cup three out of the last four years, but is that a worrying trend that we, uh, we don't seem to be able to take on the, 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 the likes of Munster, Leinster and Ulster? I think, I think we have overrated the Premiership for a long time. We get carried away by the fact there's great atmosphere, um, but the reality is Saracens are the only European giants in England. And we have to say in Ireland, before our Irish friends get too carried away, Ulster and Munster are not competitors for this tournament. And you've got to look sometimes, not just at at the wins, but the actual quality. And and when you go to quality, I think this year you look at Saracens, if they want it, and I think they do, Leinster, and you probably look at Toulouse. Mm. The other clubs, you know, the English teams are losing, but they're not losing by much. Harlequins in Belfast, I think, were the better team. Um, And I see no reason why the Irish wins will keep coming this tournament other than Leinster. The theme of the past few years of Irish teams trouncing English or or getting so further ahead, I I don't think that's really the case now. 
I think you've got one super team in Ireland, which is Leinster, and I don't think that um, Munster and Ulster, as you were saying, Stuart, I think Munster and Ulster, uh, I don't think are better than Exeter, so I think Exeter would be the sort of, out of England and, and Ireland, yeah. Exeter would be the third best. I think you put Northampton against Munster and Ulster, I think it'd be quite interesting. Quinn's only just lost at, um, at uh, in Belfast at the weekend. They played well, too. They should have won well. it. Yeah, you're right. And then, you know, listen, there's, there's every chance that, I mean, Ulster, as you say, are three from three, but they, they've only got 12 but, points and you think to yourself you know if um, you know if they if they can beat Quinns at the stoop then maybe they deserve to be talked about as possible quarter finalists but the reality <laughs> is that um, you know they I agree with you Munster and, and Ulster have been you know very very less than convincing quite frankly but you just said I, I thought you were going to say then they deserve to be talked of as potential winners oh, when no, you say no, no. potential quarter finalists yeah. that is the reality people look at the win table and it's not about that at this stage it's about the performance table and you yeah. can see the potential winners and Ulster when they beat Clermont 18-13 Clermont had got away with a bonus point playing terribly on a Friday night when they didn't want to be in Belfast and Ulster had got four points and nothing more right now Clermont are heavy odds on favourites to win that pool yeah but it's also it's not it's about the performance but it's also about winning your group so Ulster will probably are they going to win their group? No, no they're not going to no, win. No, no, no. Sorry, sorry. So, uh, so Ulster might qualify in in second place, yeah. but that doesn't do them any good because it's so rare to win a quarter final yeah. away from home. The only teams that can do that, Saracens, are backing themselves to do that. Yeah. And I can't. Re- Leinster would probably do that, but I can't see anyone else who would do that. Well, that was my point about celebrating <clears> when <throat> you got four points against a giant team who you had to deprive of anything, and they failed to do that. And, and you know, I know the conditions were terrible this weekend. So you mon- that's your turn. I was going to say what I wrote about in the paper today uh, with Munster. It was a terrible game of rugby, let's Mm. forget it. Mm. But the reality is, old Munster would have made sure that was 4-0. Saracens didn't play well, but their kids have come away with a point, and psychologically, that tells me that they believe now that they can qualify. Yeah, listen, there's absolutely no doubt Saracens will put out a very strong side for for the return this weekend against Munster. and. and if they deny Munster a losing bonus point and they get the win and, and possibly even f- you know four tries, then they're right back in the hunt. Saracens will be saying this is a 5-0 objective. Mm. Munster used to say this is 4 or 5-0 at Toman Park. It was 4-1. If Saracens with the full team do 5-0 it, they've come away 6-4. And if you can win those matches and you keep winning them, you're back-to-back, mm. you will qualify. That's what Munster and Leinster have done for so many years. When they weren't winning six games, they'd go to Toulouse or Clermont, and yeah. they'd lose by a point. And then they'd go home, and they'd beat them by eight or nine. And that's what put them in the position to go on and win tournaments. Do, do you think that Saracens will slightly re- regret their decision to, to rest so many players? Because they, yeah. they only lost by seven points... And they've effectively conceded they're not going to win the group because no. if they if they got a, if they got a win there, <clears throat> Racing only got a, only got a draw there. So if, I, I think if they, got I a think win there, they would have won the I group. I think they've, they've, their hand has been forced. Even if they win every Premiership game between now and the start of the Six Nations, they still don't overtake the teams that are below them. Yeah, and therefore then they lose a, a whole set of players. And there's no certainty that any of those players will come back. They could you know they, they could get pick up significant injuries. Yeah. Saracens need to eat into this points deficit as yeah. quickly as possible. So I 100% understand the decision to uh, you know to field slightly different teams mm. 
lose. Mm. I, I think they've looked at it and they've thought that we don't need to qualify as the, as they the outright would back winners. Because they'd back themselves away. to win a quarter final away. To go anywhere, in the, you know. I mean, Leinster would be the hardest place to go, but they'd back themselves to go pretty much anywhere and win because they are the European Cup champions. And, it, and why wouldn't you think that? It, it, Mark McCall, when they put forty-four points on Ospreys, he said, "If we make the quarterfinals, we'll have a chance, yeah. a big chance." And no one, no, no, no one would want to play Saracens in the quarterfinals because of, of the quality and. And, and experience and pedigree that they have in their squad. I just want to talk Exeter because, I mean, Exeter are flying the flag for the Premiership. They yeah. had a fantastic win at La Rochelle. They then backed it up uh, and they had a right old tussle against Sale, which they, mm. they managed to hang on for. Uh, it was interesting listening to Rob Baxter's interview afterwards. He was saying, because they lost to Bristol in the Premiership, and I said, well, what's changed? You've suddenly gone on this run. And he said, for the first time since I've taken over... The team were really looking forward to the European campaign starting. We targeted Europe this year, and we were really looking forward to that starting. And they were they were mightily impressive in La Rochelle when they uh, mm. when they got the bonus point win. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I just I watched them back to back against Leinster a few years ago, and they weren't quite good enough to uh, to challenge. But I think they're a significantly better side this now, Exeter for well, sure. We've got to go back to that word experience. Mm. They they thought they could play their keep ball English Premiership rugby and win in Europe, and against the best teams who are equally adept at slowing it down and competing, they found themselves blunted, nullified. They've Something has changed now, and that Hogg is one of those things, and he was only on the pitch for 15 minutes, but you could argue that those were the 15 minutes that won the game. But with Hogg there, Jack Nell and uh, well, Henry Slade, mm. they have... Yeah. Back three players as yeah. good as anything in yeah. Europe, and, 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 and also, they could win. They could score tries like that. Yeah. They couldn't do that in the and, past. And also, you know, Nick White, I think, is absolutely been one of the one of the best scrum halves in the world mm. in terms of their tempo. Sam Simmons, you know, I know I bang on bang his drum a lot, but he's a wonderful player. Uh, you know, and he's everything he does in the game. His involvement, he's you know, you, you can't not talk about him in a game because he's involved mm. so much. He had a try saving tackle on the line with Marlon Yard at the weekend, which, yeah, which won yeah. them the game. So I mean, that, that was a good win, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. okay, Sale are a glamorous team, but they had a full house. They were up for this one. It's a big old game. Sale knew they had to win it. I know it was only a two point margin. But that's, uh, you know, you, you can't always win by 20 points. Nobody does. That's a good win. Do you not think Sale are going to be that, that sort of cliche of a team who are best out of the uh, European... Well, he's, he's always had... Because, a, he's, I just think they're, they're building. They've got all these new players coming in, so they're, they're going to grow throughout the season. And if they if they make that decision that, oh, it's, it's too far for us now, then they'll be strong in the Premiership, and that's all they want to do. Well, I think they've always had that balancing act. Steve Diamond's made no secret of the fact that, you know, they, they, they obviously do well they qualify for the Champions Cup but they have never had the squad to compete on both fronts yeah. and and maybe you know with the South Africans coming in it's it, it's changing ever so slightly they, they were you know they were decent opponents for Exeter yesterday they gave them a hard time mm. um, yeah, and it was a very good finish wasn't there's, it? yeah there's no doubt that they will that they will get better and better as the season goes on but I, I, I can't see them having the, the quite the squad depth to challenge on, on both fronts but, at this stage but to be honest if, if we say maybe we'd be better off not focusing on Europe, not in Europe and the Premiership, we'd have a European Cup with Toulouse, Leinster and Saracens. Because mm. <laughs> everyone else would be better off out of it. Talking oh, yeah, about That was a bit negative, wasn't it? Yeah, we well... need to brighten up it, don't we? You well... Sorry, Barnsley. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'll before... raise my game. Come on. Well, before we brighten up, can we talk about Bath? Because um, I was given about a two-hour grilling from Bath supporters on the way home uh, from the wreck on... Uh, 
Friday evening as to what's going wrong at Bath. And, and you went home on the train. Of course, I went home on the train. Yeah, a man of the people. Always a man of the people. Well, Bath people going on the train with you, Lawrence. Yeah, there's lots of people who it, say you're not Lawrence, but I always defend you on that. Well, front. It was unusual finding them sitting in first class, but they all they, they, they were they were they were all there. <laughs> was there a coach? Was, there, was there a coach called the Lawrence Delalio coach <laughs> without tickets as well? I might have. But anyway, a lot of Bath fans going going back with you to London. Well, I know. Anyway, they See, Gatlin had a gate named after him, but you've actually got a coach say, from Bath they, back they to London. Somehow thought, they somehow thought that I might I might be able to understand their problems, um, <laughs> and they, uh, you know, and, and it was interesting listening and canvassing their opinions because you know they feel that the um, that the coaching structure is not quite right. They feel that their recruitment structure has not not been in, in right for the last or, or joined up and connected in a way that other clubs are. So they've got this sort of mixture of players that don't seem to necessarily um, you know gel together. Um, you know, and look, I know that they've got a bit of an inju- you know an injury list, but. Uh, you know they're a club that need to need to find a sort of way of moving forward because it's you know they're, they're in danger not only of slipping out of Europe but actually um, being, slipping out yeah slip, being, being down the bottom of the Premiership and I include the likes of Leicester and Wasps you know along with that at the minute as well. Your club, Barnsley, but woeful, woefully underperformed for four seasons now. When were, when were they were in the final four seasons ago, apart from that season when uh, George, George Ford's Ford was right genius season, yeah. and they played great rugby, they've done nothing for the best part of this century, frankly. Um, the only thing they've done is stay up. Your century was better, Barnsley, let's all agree. Well, it was because uh, <laughs> it's about winning trophies. <laughs> mm. But if we you were quite a lot. If you were a coach, um, an aspiring coach at the highest level, you'd look at the Premiership and you'd think, oh, where could I make the biggest and most significant impact in, in that? And, you, you know, there's, there's some wonderful coaches doing some great stuff, you know, in, in all those clubs. But, you know, personally, I'd look at the Bath and go, at the end of the day, coaching is about what you deliver out on the field but it's also about the decisions you make off the field. And one of the biggest things Warren Gatlin taught me is he, came, he said, I looked at the squad at Wasps and I thought, why are they in eighth in the premiership the, the season he came in? He said, you know, that's where I can really make a big difference. Mm. And, and, and he did straight away. And, but aren't Bath just a, a victim of, of their own decisions? As you're saying, get it right off the field. Mm. And so they promoted Stuart Hooper, who was only playing three seasons ago. Or was it? Uh, he, so he's very, very new and he's now the director of rugby. And he hasn't got a lot of experience beneath him. He needs. He needs a, a really. He he could be director of rugby in a David Humphreys esque way at Gloucester if he had a Johan Ackerman beneath him who, as, as your first team coach. Then it possibly it could work. But I, I, I I just I, think I think they're miles away from it off the pitch. And and then you you've got so many. I mean, they, they have a lot of England players, a lot of international players. But but they need faith in in the coaching structure around them. And 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 if they're starting to lose games, then you lose your faith and. I, I don't know. I, th- I think it's a desperate situation. Yeah, well, players <coughs> talk about, well, we've got faith in Stuart Hooper and the systems and blah, 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 blah. And they come across as a team who have no individual edge to them. They're told what to do, they go out and do it. And against Ulster, it might be played wide, and they lost. Played wide all the way against Clement, it might be tighten up. They lose that against Saracens, it might be. You know, stand static and just pod one up, and you just think there's no player has his own identity, his own vocabulary. There's a vocabulary that comes from the changing room, and I don't think Lawrence, you can just impose that upon players. And Bath looked like a team who are busy trying to learn everything. I tell you who they remind me of: the latter stages of Ireland. So much information being inputted that you're too busy thinking about what am I meant to be doing here to thinking, you know what. I can make a bust here. I can enjoy this, and and, and they're just 
and I know it sounds crazy, but they look like a joyless team to me. Listen, we must. Um, we, we can't really mention the Welsh as much as I want to, but the only reason is that <laughs> the Ospreys have been so woeful. Um, I, don't, I don't even want to depress Welsh fans about... They seem to have a structure that gets their, their national team playing well, but despite the fact that their provinces never play well in Europe. But we'll, you know, that's another argument. The French are certainly uh, uh, pushed forward by the likes of Toulouse. Um, Racing, I would say, is still you know, in, in contention and looking very, very strong. If we go individual players, who in the first three rounds, and I know it's early days, but Slotty, who are the, in the early rounds um, are the players who've stood out for you in Europe? John Cooney, the uh, Ulster scrum half, has been yeah. outstanding, sort of consistently. I think in the uh, in the early rounds, fourth choice scrum half going into the World Cup. Uh, Connor Murray not playing well. Um, you know, I'm a big Connor Murray fan, but he's he's not playing very well at all. I think um, Andy Farrell has got a, some interesting decisions to make because you know a lot of people are asking where's where are Ireland going to go post Joe Schmidt era. I think they're going to have a bit more fun. Classic, that much. classic example of just sticking with the experience too long. Yeah. Connor Murray has not been in form. He is a good player, but Cooney was clearly last season. He yeah. was the form. Well, are you saying that Cooney nine? should have been in the World Cup nine? I, most definitely, he should have been. He shouldn't, vying. Have been, shouldn't have been fourth choice. He should have think. been vying with Connor Murray for the starting berth. If you go on form, because Connor Murray's form was really poor. Internationals as well as club. Cooney was never given an opportunity. And again, it gets back to this Irish thing about just going on too long. Because the other one, I would but mention... he's not old, Murray. You, no, you, no, you know how not, good he's been. You, the no, decision to the World on, Cup got, is you, you, got, you think got, you know how good he is. He's going to come good for us. We've got big injuries. and nine, nine, nine months of poor form is a long time. Six weeks, if you're a class player... Forget it. I don't mind. Cipriani had a slow start to the season, but he's a class player. You know that he's he's got the ability to come good. Conor Murray has been off form for nine months going into that World Cup. And the other one, again with Ireland, Jordan Lama. Mm. He, brilliant. Well, he was superb at the weekend, Absolutely wasn't he? Absolutely brilliant. But he's a full-back. You've got to give him the ability, because he can step off either foot, let him play down the middle, take people on. In the World Cup, they put him on the wing... Other teams were able to neutralise him. He should have been full back ahead of Rob Carney because Carney is dependable. Lama is more than dependable. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do see those changes happening under under Andy Farrell as well because I think he's seen that and, yeah. and he has to move that squad on. Uh, who else, Owen, stood out for you? Well, uh, a player who's who's been around for a long time but keeps on getting injured and, and looked really good yesterday is the... Um, Another fullback. It was a very good weekend for fullbacks because um, Stuart Hogg was great for X, as we said. Tom Marshall at, at uh, Gloucester mm. um, scored two tries, but I just think he's a real class player who mm. had, who'd been here a while and j- just for injury for injury reasons hasn't quite been able to show show that off. I'd go back to Saracens again. I mean, the non-international players who just do such a good job there. Uh, well, Ben Spencer is an international. I well, think big he's been big, good. Uh, big big hat to. Um, Brad Barrett, who played his 250th game for Saracens. God, he's amazing, isn't he? I mean, uh, Nick Ezekwe was um, was really good at the, yeah. on uh, on Saturday. I thought. Yeah, he's played very well. He's outstanding in the air. Restarts. He's, he's very good. I'm sort of looking at Toulouse and saying Roman Antomac. Uh, you know, yeah. looks look, looks. I mean, he scored two tries at the weekend, but you know, it's 25 years since his father was involved in. Uh, in the Heineken Cup, yeah. and uh, you know, I think Toulouse would be uh, would be a, a popular win winner of the of this year's Heineken Cup. Just twenty five years on from from when it all started, I don't know whether that's the romance in me, but uh, no, I think there's a realism to that as well. Toulouse were a bit naive last year when they played the semi final in Leinster, but 
Uh, they took out Clermont in the French final. They look a, a far more... Well, they're, they're, they're sort of winning games without actually getting out of third and, gear and, at the moment. And, and, and that's what you want. And I was thinking about this on the tube coming here and, and thinking about England and the World Cup. England's mm. problem is, unless they're in overdrive, they can't win. Mm. And that's why we thought... One of the reasons we thought they wouldn't win a World Cup is you can't keep playing brilliantly. <laughs> and when you can't keep playing brilliantly. So what happens when you don't? And England, for a year and a half, when they didn't play brilliantly against a good team, be it Scotland at home, be it uh, Wales, be it South Africa, a couple of occasions, they lost. And Toulouse are learning to not play well and win. And that that is a, a massive skill. And I think the great coaches must find a way for their teams to possess yeah. that. Ospreys are sort of approaching that a different way, aren't they? They're learning not to play well, but they just haven't quite worked out how to win Right, yet. I'm quite, not quite sure how they're approaching it, really. I mean, I, I, I would pick out Sam Simmons again. I think he's been outstanding oh, yes. for, for yes. Exeter. Yeah. Um, really has. He's man of the match in, in La Rochelle. He was not far off it yesterday. And... Uh, how does you know, he squeeze know, into Eddie, an England back well, row? I'll tell you how he does, because Eddie Jones is saying we well, can't drop Billy, but I tell you, on his World Cup form, you definitely can drop him because he, he, yeah. he you know, he's. Yeah. I'm, I'm not being unkind in the sense that he's a, he's a top class player and has the ability to come good, but I expect more from a guy of his experience yeah. now in the England team. He's a senior player, he's a leader, he's a you know double European Cup winner, he's won Premiership titles. He should have been driving that England team forward. I don't think his form. Uh, so it's necessarily in the same form as as a Sam Simmons. And so that's interesting. Others. When when Sam had his his brief flirtation with England uh, a season and a half ago, and he he was injured last season, was very very unlucky. So the World Cup was not really a possibility for him. But but uh, he played number eight a couple of times. Billy was out, and Nathan Hughes were both out, and he was like, uh, well, give him a chance because really there wasn't a lot of alternative. Yeah. And um, scored and, and, two and, tries on his debut. Yeah, but but he still looked, he still looked a bit lightweight though. Well, I don't I don't believe that. I don't subscribe to that. I think it's about balance in your team. When you've got an enormous uh, type five, which England could have, then um, you know maybe against certain opposition, you, you have to you know, have to challenge the, the physical side. But maybe like a South Africa. But no, if he was a Kiwi, he'd be picked. I don't like either someone having a game, two games, and then a judgment is made. Yeah. It's very easy, coaches to influence us in the media and say, "Oh, he's so and so, he's so and so." It happened to Stefan Armitage. Mm. Under Martin Johnson, England decided to play an aerial game. Stefan Armitage is about my height. Lo and behold, England didn't have any continuity. He just stood at the tail of the line and watched kicks go back and forth. And then England were able to say he doesn't have the impact at, at international rugby as he does at club rugby. It's very easy. I just to think say. you, you measure, you know, there's so many statistics now about how do you measure a player's uh, you know, impact on a game? Um, you know, is it metres made? Is it offloads? Is it, it's about how many involvements you have in the game. You know, Eddie Jones is all about, and all these coaches are about getting yourself up, recycling yourself off the floor and being involved in the game. And when I watch Sam Simmons play, his involvements are phenomenal. I mean, he's, you know, his work rate, his engine. And then you ask yourself, well, once you have those amount of involvements, does he actually do things that affect the outcome of the game? And the answer is yes. I'm, I'm making try saving tackles, making offloads, scoring tries. I mean, these aren't just mini breaks. They're things that yeah, actually yeah. affect the yeah. outcome of the game. And, and you know, uh, I think everyone can see that. So I think Nathan Hughes playing very well for Bristol. Um, mm. You know, we're not seeing him in the Champions Cup, unfortunately, but we certainly will next year. He's got some interesting decisions to make in the back row. Oh, hang on a sec. Go on, mate. Can I throw one in? Don, Bra- Don Brand. We need to introduce you, don't we? Yeah. That's Mike, the producer's just thrown one well, in. Well, actually, to be fair, he's... Come on, he, Mike, in you come. He's, I, I had to lean over Lawrence's mic, so I don't want to do that. But I was going to say Alex Dombrandt at Harlequins. Mm-hmm. Oh, listen, his you... performance against Ulster, but he backs it up. That He's not been the fittest, and he isn't the fittest mm. um, in general. 
uh, but his impact for Harlequins and specifically in Europe so far this season has been phenomenal. Yeah, agree with that. Um, so that so England back row, Don Brand at eight. I wouldn't have a problem with that. Simmons at six, and then get Underhill and um, Curry and Jack Willis and who else to fight over the seven spot? There's another good seven out there. Ben Earl's playing pretty well at seven. Well, hang on, if they're fit, wait, wait. Underhill and Curry, if fit, are you six? And yeah, seven? I, yeah. I, I don't. I mean, I, I, I understand that you can get by with that. But I don't think um, I, I think I'd like to see him both competing for the same jersey. Really? Yeah, because oh. I, I don't think there's enough. Well, if Billy's not going to carry the way the way he should, then there's no. there's not enough there's not enough carrying ability in in those two. They're, they're brilliant players over the ball. I get that, but um, I just see it's one or the other. I think you can add, and there's a missing ingredient in the back row. It'd be interesting to see Billy having to fight for his spot, though, wouldn't it? I mean, because he, he hasn't had to really since he since he got in that that Billy Vunapola thing. You know. Yeah. It's the same thing you're talking about. Let's call it the, the Conor Murray theory. You know, a bloke is outstanding, world-class, but if he's not at his best for nine months, you're going for a moment, but Lawrence and myself are thinking maybe not. Exactly the same applies to Billy. Had Billy come back from injury and been off for a month, you're going, well, he's been off for a month. He hasn't been anywhere near his best for a long I don't, time. I don't know. I think play, I, I'd like to think players talk to each other about it. You know, we used to have, wind each other up saying, you know, you need a big game this week, mate, because... You know, let's be honest. You're in the last chance saloon at the minute. You know, we we always uh, used to have a bit of a giggle about it. You don't need your coach to tell you. You know when you've had a run of games that have been sort of six or seven out of ten, and you need to put in a, a nine or a ten out of ten. Just to... Eddie's got his favourites. Yeah. Let's let's not beat about the bush. I mean, Ben Youngs has got. He's now one of the most capped English players of all time, and time and again, Ben Youngs, when the England game plan hasn't functioned, has disappeared and has become a weakness. But Eddie will. We'll move heaven and earth to make sure there's no opposition to Ben Youngs. Ah, oh, I think I think Ben Youngs might. We, we, it's, we're guessing at the moment, but when the next England squad is announced, I think Ben would, is the big casualty. Well, hang there on. there, there it's will a bit be late casualties. Now. I'm sorry, it's a bit late now. Well, I, I, I agree with you, but I, I was arguing for the previous two years that he should have had yeah, other, no, no, other no. scrum halves come in. I mean, I, th- I think that was, you know, if, we, if we're going to review the whole England campaign for the f- over four years, which when is, when I don't is know if we've got the, quite um, got time for oh, now, then the, the scrum next, half is where he got it completely wrong. Weeks. When is the next England squad announced? Uh, Mid-January, yeah. I'm not sure of the exact date. Yeah, I, find yeah. that, I find that strange as well. Can I, can well, I why is that strange? It? Well, I don't know. I just I liked. Um, you think it's late? I think it's late. Yeah. I mean, I, it, I, I get it, but it's. I just. I, I always liked. Um, I always liked the squad announced sort of um, after after a nice run of games, and I, and I and I think we've we're almost getting to that stage where after after round four in Europe, for instance, you know, this it's not going to change vastly, is it? Between now, between uh, between then, I mean, obviously we've got this unique situation in Europe where the the, the fixtures mirror themselves, but the returns this weekend. I mean, mm. what what are the what are the standout ones for, um, for you? I mean, Northampton, Leinster. Can Northampton go away and and uh, will go to to Dublin and do anything better than they did last week? I think. I, I think without might, without I, Johnny Sexton, maybe. Well, I, I think Northampton um, are quite precocious and they'll learn a lot. But I can't see them getting anything at the Aviva. All those festive people in their Santa hats will get Lenser riled up for this one. There's and, one. Uh, there's one fixture that, that towers over the whole oh, of the weekend, isn't that? That's Saracens, Saracens monster game is. I mean, that's well, it will when the teams are announced. Yeah, well, so, but Saracens have pretty much said they're going to go full bore. Mm. Aren't they? Yeah, and I think that's the right thing. And I guess Ulster Harlequins they won by a point. Um, at yeah. Kingspan, you know, can they go? I mean, I know, you know, we're giving them a hard time saying that they're they're sort of good, they're ordinary but not great. Um, but can they go to the stoop? Um, and I think um, 
Paul Gustard said that you know he feels that he, he wants to you know keep the integrity of the competition going, and he th- he still thinks they've got an outside chance yeah, of qualifying, and, right. and they'll go full ball. So that we'll learn a little bit more about Ulster. I guess Racing Ospreys will be a formality. <laughs> um, Exeter Sale, I mean Sale again, you know, were good in parts, and, and they'll want to keep you know keep that sort of shape and structure going. But Exeter looked pretty hard to beat at home. And then that, you know, Toulouse, Montpellier, can Toulouse go to Montpellier and, that's and reverse an int- it? I mean, that's that, quite interesting. That's an interesting one, but Toulouse have now got three wins, haven't they? And Mon- I think the other teams, uh, Montpellier have lost twice now, is that right? Yes. I think, uh, Toulouse yeah. have got a little buffer. And we've talked about this, you know, they might think we don't need to go there and win. And, and for Toulouse, it might be, if they go there and they lose 25-22 and come away with a point, they'll lie to Galois, head back to southwest France and say, job done. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Right, let's move on from um, European rugby. The big news this week was obviously the Lions announcement of the 2021 itinerary for South Africa. Just to throw some headlines to all our listeners, the Lions have committed to an eight-match, three-test tour. Two of those tests being in Joburg, and I think the other one is Cape Town. Cape Town, Cape beg your Town, pardon. Yeah. Yeah. The Premiership final is on the 26th of June, which is just seven days before the first tour game, which is utterly ridiculous. Stephen Jones, our very own Stephen Jones, has slammed the tour as brutally short. He didn't hold back, did he? he was no. a, it was a proper Jonesy rinsing. It was indeed. And, and you know, I suppose the big question is does Warren Gatland have the time or the resources to beat? the world champions, South Africa. I think that we'll see a change of the Premiership final. I I just think that, that this is a big bargaining thing and the, the Premiership clubs said they're not going to move and the Lions will say, have already said, we'll give you X amount of money and, the, and they've said no and then soon there'll be a, it'll be X times two and then X times three. At some point they'll go, well, all they right, we'll do it, it for you. They don't need it, Of course do they? they need it. They, 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 every club loses money every season. You know yeah, hang on, that's changing now. Well, no, that's, it's not. That, that, they've, that, they've almost spent their CBC that, money. That's changed it, but there's a bigger principle here, and the principle is the game moving forward. The clubs, do they think that the heart of professionalism is uh, an antiquated tour like the Lions, or do they think it's 82,000 at Twickenham? Do they think they should be 
budging for the Lions? Are the Lions a problem for them, or are the Lions an inspiration for them? I th- Fans I th- across th- the world love it. South Africa, New Zealand and Australia love it. But I... I don't think there are many club chairmen who are so arrogant to think that they are greater than the Lions. I, I, I know that they've got to, they've got to um, boost their competition, they've got to build their, the, 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 the league, etc. But they know, that, they know how big the Lions are. They, they are all pretty much all proper rugby people. They know what it's worth. And they know that if they have Lions heroes coming back into their clubs, it's good for them. Uh, I, I, I think there's maybe one or two who, who think what you're saying, Barnsley, which is it, it's anachronistic and, and, and the league is where it's at. But seriously, I, 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 think, I, just, I, just, I just think that we're going to see some movement there. I, I can't believe they're arrogant enough to well, stick also, to it. I, I, think it's, I think there's a duty of respect to fans as well, rugby fans, quite frankly. I mean, you know, rugby players aren't magicians or coaches. You can't suddenly go from, you know, in one week to being a world-beating team. You've got, you've got fans who are going to be watching the Premiership and watching, you know, domestic rugby all over Europe. And then they've suddenly, you know, a week later got to go out on a Lions tour and, 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 and follow a team that, you know, has been the best prepared team ever, you the, know. The, the, the marketing that will drive Premiership rugby at the moment will be from a, a private equity source who are very good at yep. marketing. And if you think they give a damn about supporters and the history of the game, then we're crazy boys, because it's about one thing only for them. It's about making money. And if they think a collapse of the Lions could double the revenue for the Premiership, we have a body involved now who would not mind. I am not saying that's right, by the way. I don't think that. Mm. I think there has to be room for both. But I don't think we should be as naive as to think Premiership will roll over and say, whatever you need in the end lines. I, I don't think that. For, no. me, for me, the interesting thing is, and I'd love to know what you two both think about this, the interesting change is the 10 to 8 games. And the, because the two games that have been dropped are the the latter two midweek games, mm. so the midweekers there's only two Wednesday games or Tuesday Wednesday games. So midweek has got two games, so the, the whole ethos of, of of Lions Rugby has been keeping the midweek team uh, a happy, b thinking that they're they're competing for test spots mm. uh, and therefore involved. If if you're a midweeker and you've got two games and then you know that the next three weeks you're off and you're just providing opposition in training sessions, then uh, to what extent does the Lions uh, lose its spirit? Does it run out of petrol? Did fans go and they love the midweek games and I love wandering around places seeing Lions fans, but more and more it has become a tour that is based around the big cities. And, and I can recall being in Auckland before Auckland Blues played them in 2017. And I spoke to Tana Umunga, who was manager, and the Blues had had a terrible super season. And they'd just come back from a win against Queens and Reds. They played it, I think, in uh, Samoa or Fiji. Can't remember which. But I said, you know, this line, if you beat the Lions, that will save your season. And Tana looked at me and said, mate, we beat the Reds, that's more important. I honestly think we in the Northern Hemisphere are actually creating something that is fading away in the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. It has become, and whatever you say, it is about three games now. Mm. It's about the series. But the midweek matches, mm. I love them. To me, th- that first game of the New Zealand tour when we were way up north in Vongaray mm. was my favourite four or five yeah. days of but, that but, tour. But you need time, that's the thing. Oh, yeah. yeah I, mean, I mean, there's no doubt that, you know, the reason it's moved away from, um, well, the reason it's only focused around big cities is because of the schedule. And, you you know, to do those wonderful things like the eight weeks we had in South Africa in 97, you need, you need, you need a lot you need, of time. You, you need time. So you end up with a shortened tour. 
it actually becomes a test series. And the other thing you've got to say, the last Lions tour, let's not forget, they didn't have a, a midweek match between the second and the third test. So we're losing two instead of one midfield midweek match. It's almost a confession yeah. that the Lions is it's changing from a tour yeah. to a test. Well, also, yes. Gatlin, Gatlin's, Gatlin's, Warren Gatlin said to me, I spoke to him in great detail in Hong Kong after the, um, after the New Zealand tour, and he said, from a coaching perspective, he said, "I've never had to work. I've never worked so hard as a coach because now the preparation for one game is so significantly bigger yeah. than it's ever been in terms of just everything you've got to deal with, from the media to the to the coaches, to the players, etc. To have to do that twice in a week, he just said it's impossible. So, so he he's absolutely he's, impossible. He's he, not just he's not regretting the loss of those two midweek games. Well, I think I think to a degree, yes, because you can always be better prepared. There's always you know there's always reasons why they would be you know you, you would be better off. But you can't have one coaching team delivering everything like that and oh. the problem with the two coaching team dynamic as we found out in previous tours is that doesn't work either because you've got, you know, you've got different philosophies different egos etc so I, I sort of sympathise a little bit with, with the coaching staff in terms of no, I, th- I think that's completely to, right but, they've but, got to simplify it and the reason that Gatlin's been appointed is because he understands yes. what is required you know for a new coach to come in and understand that it would take a long long time he understands what's required to get the best out of this schedule simple as that so how are your dirt trackers going to handle it though because it's, well, it, it's a totally different well the one thing now. Warren does do is make sure everyone has fun alright and you know fun is definitely at the top of the agenda so you know there's, there, there wasn't any disgruntled players on the Lions tour trust me I mean it's they just they, they all go out they, they get on it's very, made very clear and he's very honest with people you know selection or anything like that he just tell you straight you know, you're either in or you're not. And, mm. and assume, simple as that. I assume a shorter tour will probably mean one or two less players as well. Uh, and the other thing... Yeah, I think probably a slightly day, smaller And also you can fly them over from South Africa yeah, without any issue yeah. then. It's not... It's, no, no time difference. Yeah. The other thing is, we all go to press conferences and we're all befuddled by coaches saying it's been the best training week of our lives. You lot haven't seen it. That's why you don't understand this controversial selection that is absolutely right, but you don't get it. Coaches like their training weeks. Taking those two midweek games out actually makes it easier for Warren Gatland, especially when you listen to what Lawrence is saying about the fact that there's less time. Less games actually gives you more preparation time because by that stage, you know, by the second test, there will be no case. It won't be a matter of Gatland thinking, I don't know who my inside centre is. Let's watch a game. He'll know. Right, we're going to move on um, to our feature of God and Goddess of the Week. I loved Hog and Llama, but sometimes you've got to be a little bit selfish in this game. And when you write a, a column for the Sunday Times espousing uh, Danny Cipriani and say, show them that it's not just about genius, it's about controlling a game. And in the process, do something stupid as well, which I wrote. Cipriani controlled it beautifully. He did something stupid with the dropout that went full out when the referee had said, you can't do it. And there was one moment when the, your colleagues on BT were laughing at Cipriani for mishitting a crossfield kick. The replays then showed that he had hit a grubber kick across the face of the Connacht defence into the hands of his winger. It was impetuous, genius. It was a bloke putting two fingers up to people who are saying, you're under pressure, are you as good as you say you are? There is room in the game for people who have that glint in their eye. So Danny is my god of the week. Yeah, it was a lovely moment that, wasn't it? It was a nice Did moment. Did you do that, Bob? <clears throat> did, you, did you have a grubber across the face of the opposition? Yeah, I did, but it was, a complete, weeks, it was, a, it was a complete mistake when I did it. <laughs> 
Right, I'm going to go for someone that people won't necessarily um, think about because he was part of a team uh, that lost at the weekend. Um, I'm talking about Brad Barrett from Saracens. I love warriors in rugby, I love, in our sport, and, and he's a warrior. He's got longevity. He's a humble man. Despite all this nonsense that's going, this you know, this storm of controversy that's going on around Saracens, he's got no co-investments. He, I don't believe he has a co-investment. Yeah, but so we uh, love well, him he is that. co-invested because he loves Saracens and he's driven that club. Oh, actually, he's got a coffee business, he's isn't he? Driven so that he club relentlessly to the uh, to the top of, of domestic and European rugby, and I think for him to still be playing at, at a very high level uh, post international career, particularly when you tackle with your face in every single game, um, <laughs> is, uh, is 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 nothing short of a miracle. So either him or his surgeon should be god of the week. Luckily, uh, he doesn't have a nose left, Lawrence. Exactly. No, Brad Barrett. He's a, he's a top boy, top man. And a great advert for, you know, for the prem- for Premiership and and just rugby in general. Yeah. Okay. Um. So mine will be a a player who gave me much joy at the weekend. I, I love him because he's a, he's one of these um troopers who's got got better and better with age. If you like, Mark Atkinson of uh, Gloucester. I, I thought he had a great game, but he also one of the highlights of the weekend was when he tackled himself. Um, <laughs> oh, he, he made a beautiful breakthrough. He was looking left or right, not knowing that there was drawing the last man, wondering which way to go. And in the process, he managed to fall flat on his ass. That was wonderful. What Lovely moment. Any other business, gents, that we've uh, missed yeah, out I, on? I mean, jo- you know, bring back Jonesy. I, mean, oh, I just think we need to. Uh, can we have some violins or something for Jonesy and just say how much we miss him and. We're worried. We're worried about you, Stephen. Please come back. I'm just missing Steve. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, that's, right. Love that's sick. my moan. Love sick. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, listen, gentlemen. Uh, my thanks to Owen Slot and Stuart Barnes. The Ruck will return next Monday. Make sure you never miss an episode. Subscribe now via Acast, iTunes, or your preferred podcast provider.